Hello and welcome to Property Matters, a weekly look at all matters property designed to be of interest to anyone who has an interest in property. And Property Matters is supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. Now, each week we focus on the big property stories making the news and no matter where you're enjoying the show, whether it be live or on catch up today, uh, we'd love you to get involved by adding your comments in the comments section below. We'd love to engage with your comments either live or on the catch up. And if you'd like to email us, our address is hello at uh, propertymatterstv.co.uk. Also, you can find the show live every week on our new website propertymatterstv.co.uk or by searching Property Matters TV in YouTube or Facebook. Property Matters is also available in podcast form now, of course, and available to stream or download every Monday from 10am following the Sunday broadcast. Simply type Property Matters TV podcast into Google and choose any one of the eight podcast platforms listed in the search. So let's catch up with our property expert, Joe Joshi, who's got a week off this week, really, because we're talking about mortgages and getting bobbing in a sec. Yes, good morning, Paul. Yeah, I've been looking for a relaxed approach on a Sunday morning, and I think... um, Thank God for Bob Singh, who is obviously our, our our mortgage guru that comes live every so often when we need his input um, in, into the financial services uh, world, uh, which is a pretty complex part um, on its own. And um, uh, good morning, Bob. Thank you for joining us. I know we get you out of bed early on a Sunday morning. It's not the sort of thing you'd like to do. But, uh, you know, you, you have, a, as, as Paul said, a lot of fans. Um, and uh, we will make sure that uh, they, they get a piece of you every every other Sunday or so. Um, so coming coming live, but mortgages are are important because without those, of course, none of these people that obviously have this dream of owning a property or owning a home or even doing a buy to let or anything like that is really going to be possible unless, of course, someone has left them a bag full of cash somewhere on the line. So uh, welcome and thank you. And um, you know, I'm going to sit back today and really just. Uh, be annoying in a, in a funny sort of way, but uh, it's Bob's show. Let's get straight into the stories. Obviously, with, with rates rising in the market and the way it is, Bob, at the moment, um, a lot of people talking about when is going to be the best time or who's going to be the winners and losers in terms of when you have to change your fixed rate. So some new research done by Capital Economics says borrowers who whose fixed rate term in their mortgage is set to expire in September next year, so 2023, will see the largest rise in monthly repayments. So their research says that based on a 75% LTV, that's loan to value, uh, mortgages secured against an average home, cost rises will be 719, moving up to 882 for those refinancing onto another two-year fix. In comparison, those who fixed their mortgage rate three to five years ago will see just a modest increase in their repayments, the report said. Refinancing during September 2023, a borrower on a three-year fix will see their costs rise by £51, while someone on a five-year fix rate term will see a seven pound increase so can you just unpack that for us and explain yes i'll i'll do my best uh as we all know rates are rising primarily due to the uh double digit inflation that we're seeing right now so the government has had to increase base rates from effectively nothing all the way up to 1.25 and the expectation is that yeah the rates will go even higher so the banks are pricing their products more expensively than they ought to be at the moment i think for two reasons once they want to stem the flow of new business they don't want the market to reheat again uh so even though base rate has only gone up uh, say 0.15 percent since it's all-time low uh rates have gone up nearly two percent for the equivalent uh, five-year product we're now looking at three percent whereas last year it was only one percent so you know they're, they're they're sort of creaming it in at the moment the numbers are um and anybody Coming to the end of their fixed rates uh, now, we'll see a bit of a payment shock, especially those two, uh, especially those who took two-year fixed rates, because people tend to go for the cheapest option, not the most sensible option. We, we rarely do two-year products because two years comes around pretty quick, and uh, you know you, you're going to be exposed to interest rate movements in that period. Uh, at Chess Mortgages, we tend to do five-year deals uh, so that people sort of know where they stand for. A pretty long time rather than the two-year option which other advisors tend to favor now as we're in a upward cycle and base rates are expected to rise we think anywhere between two to two and a half percent then 
the writing's on the wall for the people who took the short-term rates because they took them when rates were maybe rock bottom. When they come out of it, and when they open that door, you know, the rates are going to look pretty nasty and ugly. Uh, they could see the pay, their rate go from something like 1% to 3.5%, which is going to have a mark, you know, marked, marked difference in, in their monthly payments. It's going to be a, a, a bit of a payment shock. So they need to plan for it. And lenders do write to you, and many people ignore the letters, typically three or four months before your rate ends, and give you that warning letter to say, look, you ought to be thinking about this. Uh, you know, rates are coming to the end. Um, and you know you, you need you need to take some action. If you don't take any action at the end of your fixed rate period, guess what? You'll flip onto the variable rate, which is now nearly five percent, and that will be really really painful in terms of your monthly mortgage payment. If you take action early, and the earliest you can really start planning ahead for these sort of things, without paying a penalty, and I'll come on to that in a second, is really about six months because. Six months, you know, before your deal ends, you can start thinking about it, and you can see the sort of rates in the market prevalent at that time, and you can make an application to a competitor lender. That application will take a month or two months. It's typically valid for six months, so it, it carries you forward up to the end end date of your existing deal. So at that time, depending on what rates are. And bear in mind you've already secured an offer from a competitor you can see what your lender is offering you and compare that to what the competitors offering you and obviously market conditions will be different at that time and you can make a call whether you stay with your current lender or whether you go to the competitor who's already given you the offer four or five months ago hopefully at a lower rate now if you leave any fixed rate early there will be what we call an ERC, Early Redemption Charge, or Early Repayment Penalty. Now, in some cases, where the lender charges a decreasing penalty year on year, so, for example, on a five-year fix, that could be 5% in the first year, 4% in the second year, third, you know, and so on. So if you're in the last year of a five-year deal where the lender has a decreasing penalty structure, it may well be worth to pay the 1% penalty and lock in sooner than later, particularly given that rates are going to be rising, you know, you know, we think definitely by another one or one and a half percent. So for not so big mortgages, that could be a smart play. Uh, for large mortgages, I think we have to have to do the math and see whether it's worthwhile paying the penalty. And we have done it for people. We have, uh, you know, people are prepared to pay the penalty and just lock in whilst they feel rates are still sensible and not too astronomical. So uh, it really does depend. But yeah, the two-year rate people, unfortunately, will be the worst hit. Um, and the people who took five-year fixed rates are, are sitting easily for the next two or three years. But depending on whether Rishi Sunak or whoever comes into power manages to control inflation, that will very much dictate the future trajectory of interest rates in the UK and hence the uh, the mortgage rates uh, as well so interesting times ahead uh, but never ever ignore any letter from the lender because it's sent for a reason uh, and if your mortgage is due for renewal start taking advice pretty early on don't leave it till the last minute is it normal for me to be able to expect my uh, advisor to be able to work out those sums for me to explain to me well yes paying that penalty will be worthwhile because this is the projection uh, without paying it and this is it with paying it Yes, we know what the penalty is going to be because that's uh, clearly defined as per your mortgage offer. And we can see what saving can be made over your next chosen fixed rate period versus, you know, leaving it uh, untouched. So where that makes economic sense or financial sense, it, it, it's well worth doing. Uh, and some people aren't, aren't really changing rates. They're raising more money as well at the same time. So, uh, you know, they've got a double reason to sort of absorb the cost, if you like. Uh, and uh, be secure for the next five years because that's what they're looking for. People want that security, knowing that rates, you know, that the rate they've chosen isn't going to change come what may, you know, for the next five years. Is it always the case, Bob, that if you take a longer fix, 
whilst it might not be cheaper per month, you'll be better off over that period of time? Or is it is, is the certain market conditions when a two year might suit you better, for example? It's, it's very individual because, you know, people uh, either have financial constraints in terms of uh, monthly payment capacity, or they may not want to stay in that property for too long, uh, or they may not want to get, they may not want to commit to that lender. But you know, uh, behind all this, people should look at what's happening to interest rates on a longer term basis. Because although most lenders don't offer anything longer than five years, there's now an increasing prevalence of rates which are seven, ten, and fifteen years. That's a very good indication of what the market expects rates to do long term. Now. If banks have to borrow that money in and lend you the money and make a profit, you know that they don't really expect rates to go above that figure. So if you're a gambling person, yes, you could take a discounted product or a tracker product, which I have to say right now are very, very attractively priced, but they don't offer the guarantees of a fixed rate. And if rates you know keep on rising steeply, then your discount rate or your tracker rate will also rise accordingly but the margin is now not as uh well it's margin now is much bigger than it was before the rate started to rise you know for example if a, a five-year fix is three three and a half percent the tracker rates and the discounted rates are below two percent so you know some people sort of start to think hang on even if base rate increased four times at a quarter of a percent each time you know, that's four base rate increases, you know, which would could take the government some time to do because the government's not going to really, really hike up the rates and, uh, and uh, sort of uh, damage the economy uh, in that fashion. So whilst rates are below your five-year fixed rates, then you're in the money. And then for a short period, you might be out of the money, but then it's a, it's a gamble. Capital economics say that they, uh, they think the rate will rise to 3.6% by next summer. Um, I mean, still relatively speaking, quite low rates, but obviously not over recent experience, but uh, overall, that's a, that's a pretty good rate. But historically, they make this point, historically low interest rates have meant a large, large share of your mortgage repayment have gone towards paying down the principal. In recent years, two-thirds of households' mortgage payments went towards the capital of a mortgage, compared to a share of less than 30% of households from the 1970s to the 2000s. So can you just explain that to us as well, please? Yes, because uh, the way that repayment mortgages are worked out, what happens typically is that in the early years of a repayment mortgage, you tend to pay a lot of interest to the lender. And in the latter years, those monthly payments start to comprise more of capital. So it's not a, a linear line from your mortgage to zero over your 25 year period. It's a bit of a curve, a, a reverse curve. So what happens when interest rates are low, you pay more capital because they're not charging you much interest. So m most of your monthly payment is going to be formed of capital as well. So that in itself decreases the amount of interest you pay over that 25 year term. Obviously, while well, when rates are low, your monthly payment is also set at a lower level. So, it can, repayment mortgages are the way to go always for your residential property. Although people have taken interest only mortgages in the past, and now maybe coming to the stage where you know they don't know what to do. Uh, but repayment mortgages can and do work in your favour and give you that security that if you keep on making the payments for the next twenty-five years, your mortgage will be repaid uh, in full. Now, typically. On a 25-year cycle, the halfway stage for, for your time, time obviously is 12 and a half years, but the halfway stage for your debt is surprisingly between 17 and 18 years. Yeah, so if you have a 100,000 pound mortgage, your balance will drop to 50 in years 17, 18. So that just shows how much interest or charges are front loaded with repayment mortgages. So they're never good for people who move a lot. So if you take a repayment mortgage, the classic mistake is every time you move, you take another 25 year term. That's wrong. You should still keep the end date in mind and keep your term to that date and then repayment mortgages work brilliantly. If you can afford the Is that a good time then when you're looking to change your fix to think about taking some more money perhaps? Yeah, people are doing that all the time. Uh, it's not just for improvements, it's for children's weddings or you know buying them another house or something like that. 
uh, whilst they've got the earnings capacity. Because the later you leave sort of these sort of things in life, your earnings capacity may not be there. You might fall sick and not have the earnings. So people try and achieve these sort of goals as soon as they can uh, and get the money from their residential mortgage because, you know, mortgages are cheap relatively, as you as you said earlier. You know, rates of 3% might seem high now compared to what they were a year, 18 months ago. But over your last 25, 30 year average, that's 5, five or 6%. So they're still half the 25 year average. So still relatively cheap. So, you know, that's why I don't think as many people are predicting uh, that we'll see a crash. I think we'll definitely see a slowdown uh, unless there's some violent tightening of monetary policy. Uh, I don't see any, any changes in the property, property market, you know, that will cause a big crash or anything like that. Capital economics, Joe, suggests there won't be too much pain for borrowers because the other thing that's in the back of that is the, the strong employment, so they're going to, you know, should keep hold of their job quite nicely. And secondly, of course, the price still seems to be relentlessly rising, so their their assets always um, appreciating. A couple of things that I'd like to sort of just uh, uh, bring to the attention, really, is some of the jargon busters, tracker mortgages, fixed rate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It'd be quite nice to um, just get a, a sort of a basic layman's explanation when you when you come back in. And the second second thing I wanted to sort of bring bring on board is that um, when you look at um, the availability and and uh, the way the, the mortgages are being um, sort of moved and promoted, one of the things that came to my mind just now was that um, you know banks and building societies may write to people, um, giving them warnings and giving them times, but often is the case that it's something that kind of is pushed under the mat sort of thinking oh it's just them writing to me about maybe this or maybe that and not actually perhaps opening it and dealing with it and i'd probably be one of those victims myself when you sort of think oh well i'll, I'll deal with that tomorrow but before you know it um, they have done what they say they're going to do and then all of a sudden that time is up is there a way that um, apart from them a broker or person that they tend to use uh, are able to sort of monitor that that situation. I mean, if you were if you had the customer in in, in your company as, as Chess Mortgages, what do you do as a follow up, and how do you sort of um, make sure that your clients are the people that you're actually keeping on top of, making sure that they are getting best practice, best advice, and and being being guided. The other thing was that in terms is in terms of costs. Um, and the cost, the cost element is obviously something that Paul picked up very quickly on that is that, you know, it might be that by the time you t take into consideration all the costs of actually shifting or moving a mortgage, is it actually better to perhaps stay with the existing lender and negotiate a better term with them? Because, um, I mean, I often have discussions with, with clients who come in and say, you know, I'm going to do this because I, I've got uh, the interest rates rising. I think I might go somewhere else. And like you say, by the time you look at early redemption, um, cost of the legal aspect, perhaps re redoing all of these surveys and so forth, if you actually total that cost in the bigger picture, are you better off with the devil you know and negotiating that than actually the, the shifting? What gives people the, the that view? And as a broker, obviously, as a consultant, you're, you're able to sort of break that down and give that option to people. Um, and, and sort of see how that would go. But certainly going back to your question, Paul, for me, and that was that um, in terms of the values and, and where the market's going as far as the property is concerned, of course, you know, my standard line is property is the best form of investment that you'll ever make. And, and, and it's clear that even in a given circumstances where the, the government and, and, you know, that is in turmoil at this moment in time, the housing market is still very strong despite what people think it will or won't do. And I believe that part of that is because it is a case of where do you feel the safest? And, you know, I've always said, and will continue to say that, you know, you can buy something, touch it, feel it and see it. And even if it's lying empty and not bringing any money in, there is the benefit of the capital return in the long term. And you think, okay, well, at least I'm going to make some money out of it long term. Is better than having it in perhaps sometimes in stocks and shares, which are very volatile. And also not something that everybody sits and watches because that is a very time devoting thing or it's in the hands of a third party where you say well actually i'm going to a a, a a broker who's actually dealing with my funding 
uh, dealing with my um, my uh, money and and what he says or he she says at the time is I'm sorry sir but you know that market crashed and and so you've lost all your money and that's the end of that conversation whereas one thing is for sure with the property is that it's 99.9% in your control as long as you continue to make those mortgage payments so I think that's quite a quite a strong statement when you see that you know given all of the circumstances that we've now lived through probably over the last three years pandemic change of government all sorts of the interest rates are going up cost of living is going up you know um, all of those things put together Ukraine wars shortages it is still steadfast is that there where where property is and which is where property matters comes in and continues to talk about you know one of the strongest subjects that we actually have in our own home, uh, own lives so I find that quite quite um, a, a strong statement Paul to say to our our viewers and listeners that you know it is the best form of money you could probably spend and you know it's up to people like Bob and his um, uh, domain of, of expertise to be able to guide you and advise you with the right products make sure that you can buy those things but I'll answer uh, his questions in the order he raised them uh, jargon busting you're absolutely right we in the industry are guilty of assuming that people know what we're talking about abbreviations like LTV and you know that sort of thing loan to value but people don't always understand the rate options available to them everybody talks about fixed rates because that's what maybe their parents did or whatever but there are many many other products and I'll just quickly run them off uh, without spending too much time on them everybody understands fixed rates and that's where your rates gonna be fixed from A to B and after that it'll go on to the standard variable every lender has a standard variable and that's the rate uh, it, that they lend to you if you don't want any options or if you don't want to be tied into them. So you you can go on the variable and there are no commitments from you, from you to stay with them for one year, two year. You can leave leave them whenever you like. And that, and if you take no action after the end of a fixed rate, that's what typically happens. That's what most people have done for the last few years because rates have been very, very competitive. Five-year rates at 1%, how cheap could you get? So that's given people a lot of security, at least for the next five years, and they're paying rock bottom rates and it works well. However, other rates are, as Joe mentioned, tracker rates. Now a tracker rate is linked to the Bank of England base rate. So a tracker rate will typically have a margin over and above the Bank of England base rate. Now that could be as low as 0.1% above, or it could be as, highest two percent above Bank of England base rate so those on 1.99 over base are paying something like uh, sort of a 3.24 thereabouts um, and again with tracker rates they can be lifetime trackers which means for the duration of the mortgage or they can be for a two three or five year term but bear in mind a tracker rate moves in line with the Bank of England rate changes if rates go up your mortgage will also go up. If Bank of England put their rates down, your mortgage will go down. And people take tracker rates when the expect expectation is that rates can't go any higher, but they can come lower. So again, you need your broker's input as to what's the likely movement of interest rates going forward. Now would not be a good time to take a tracker because we know rates are gonna rise. So whatever product you take now on a tracker basis, is invariably going to increase over the next 12, 18 months. In two years, the picture might be quite different. We might have peaked. And if rates are then expected to fall, a tracker <coughs> may make more sense at that time. The next most popular product is called a discounted rate. Now, discounted rates are typically offered by the building societies because uh, they have a different variable rate to banks typically all loads are roughly the same but variable rates between lenders also vary dramatically some lenders have their variable rate at say four percent and some are over six percent but the discount applies from that particular lender's variable rate so whatever their variable rate is they will apply discount for a given term like two three five years and then again at the end of uh, that period you revert back to the standard variable and unless you do a product transfer or product switch 
or a remortgage to another lender, your payment will be you know, pretty high at that time. Again, they work well when the expectation is that rates will start to drop. So as rates drop, lenders will lower their variable and because you're discounted to be, low, you know, to be below the variable, your rate will also drop accordingly. So they can be useful in that sort of economic environment uh, when rates are expected to drop. Then there's the other option, which is, which is called a, a capped rate. Now, capped rate gives you the best of both worlds. It has a maximum rate you'll pay and then a floor or the minimum rate you'll pay. And your rate will fluctuate within that band as and when the lenders move their rates accordingly. So you've got a bit of a protection, uh, but you've also got uh, a minimum rate you'll pay because banks don't want you to pay nothing if rates really drop too low. They still want to make a margin. So there's always a floor to these products now. Um, and there's always a cap. So you hover between those two max and min bandings. And that can work well for some people who want uh, to benefit when rates drop. And if rates do rise, they want to, they don't want to be overexposed. And they know there will be a cap to their payments per month because you know they've, uh, they've taken a cap rate mortgage. Um, there are other sorts, which I won't, won't go into today, but uh, there are other variations on the theme as well. Uh, but these are the popular or foremost popular schemes available in terms of rate options, okay? Um, in terms of costs of changing one lender to another, uh, that's the biggest factor in deciding whether you change your lenders or not. Now, when lenders take on another lender's business to entice that particular borrower to come to them, they typically offer a free survey, free legal fees, um, a low setup cost, uh, a, a low arrangement fee, and uh, maybe a cashback as well. So just to entice that person to come to them. So we've got to just make sure that uh, the cost of changing is well worth the effort of doing doing that. Um, because if you have a big mortgage, you may want to uh, do some more mathematics because the bigger the mortgage, the more sensitive you have to be to these costs. For smaller mortgages, it's not worth going to any other product which has fees because it's, it's, you just won't recover them, recover those fees in time. But for larger mortgages, it might be worth even paying the new bank's fee to change over to that product because the rate differential makes it worthwhile, you know, particularly on you know, million pound plus mortgages. So the, the typical fees in a standard remortgage are the valuation fee, uh, the legal fees for the remortgage, uh, the uh, bank's fee, which is, can be nothing all the way up to 1995, 2000 pounds. And some brokers all obviously also charge as well a, a fee. So you have to factor all those in and then decide, is it worth me switching over to the other bank? Or do I just stay with the same lender because it's a little bit easier? So that's the calculation that the broker can do to make sure what's better for you. Yeah. Now, sometimes you have to change because that lender may not offer you a product and not all of them do. The good ones offer a follow-on product, but there are some securitized lenders who sell their mortgage books and those tend to, lenders tend not to offer any products once your deal ends, then you have to change. And if you can't change, you become what we call a mortgage prisoner. And we've talked about this in the previous shows, when you can't switch your mortgage because your earnings have dropped or your credit profile has suffered and you can't move. You know, you have to stay with that lender and you have to pay twice what Joe Public pays with a high street lender. So that can be quite painful. So, uh, but... Technology is helping us. Uh, we've invested in technology at Chess Mortgages. Every time a customer comes to us, the product or the mortgage gets logged into a back office system. One system mortgage, uh, monitors mortgage rates from every lender, 24 hours, seven days a week. And if there's ever, ever a time in your mortgage cycle that switching to another lender is an option, the client gets a text message because uh, we analyze that uh, situation. Is it worth changing over? And can we change over and still make money after paying all the penalties and charges? Okay, that's not gonna happen yet, but it will happen in two or two, three years time when the market get, gets again very competitive as rates start to hopefully decrease. And we have another piece of technology, which is a reminder system for our clients. 
uh, we send you emails six months before the deal ends, five months, four months, three months. So you get four emails from us to make sure you haven't missed the opportunity to review your mortgage. And if you still don't take any action, then, then we're not to blame. So, but most people do. And if you come to us, it, we don't charge for a product review. Once you're a, a chess client, our fee is a lifetime fee. The broker fee that we may charge you, you only pay once for that particular property. And every time the mortgage is you know, coming up for renewal, we do a free analysis and we do a free switch. We don't charge for that. The lender's fee may still apply. Or if it's a remortgage and it's a bit complex, then we'll quote you a separate fee at that time. But if you're just switching mortgages with the same lender, there are no further broker fees to pay at Chess Mortgages. Because, you know, it's often then doesn't make it worthwhile. Uh, once you take in the broker fee, the lender fee, you know, is it really worth it? Now, at Chess Mortgages, we do something unique, which other brokers do not. And that is, if you have a mortgage over £500,000 and your product switch is due, then not only don't we charge you, we give you a cashback of 0.1%. So if you switch your mortgage with us, for example, a £500,000 mortgage, which is our current minimum, we'll, we'll give you a check for £500 on completion of that transfer. So if, if you went to the bank directly, you'd get a big fat zero. So uh, it's called cashbackmortgages.co.uk. You can make an application online and then we'll review that option and if it goes through, you'll get a cashback from Chess Mortgages. So that's a fantastic system as well. So more and more brokers are taking that on board in terms of technology, uh, but no one's doing the cashback that I know of. So it's a long-term relationship. You know, going to a broker isn't just for your first mortgage; it's to stay in touch, uh, review your options always, and you know, uh, it's a long-term relationship. Succinct as always, Bob. Thank you very much indeed. That was uh, very helpful indeed. Let's um, move on to another aspect of mortgages, and that's the self-employed. And this is something, Joe, that you probably come across quite a bit more because, you know, particularly with auctions, you've got a lot of people who run their own business who are buying property. So I guess you, you come across people looking for uh, finance who are self-employed running their own businesses. With a history of... Um self-serfs that really uh, went to the market and, and put, you know, business owners, independents, people that probably never ever dreamed of having um, the chance to have any kind of mortgage actually on the property ladder some years back, um, you know, prior to sort of 2007. It was, uh, it was almost the dumb thing. You could write your own check or to a, to a large extent. And since then, um, though they say they've made it easier, um, it went through a, literally a, a, a hole um, before it actually probably even sort of rears its head back up again to some sm small extent, as far as I'm concerned. So that's where, in my business, certainly as a property auctioneer, um, I found that the, the, the bridging finance becomes far more interesting for people than mortgages that do, especially. Um, developers or or, or um, people that want to purchase their first home may have a, a bit of deposit but not the income structure that is required for a satisfactory mortgage application as per se what Bob would normally do I mean there are probably lenders that are a bit more flexible but not as flexible as it was when you were doing a self-cert mortgage um, back in the day and and those that, that sort of died completely. So the, the talk of, of making life easier for a person who is self-employed, I find really quite challenging because I've spoken and, and dealt with many people recently that want to um, get on the property ladder. Um, but, you know, typical of anyone that works for themselves, they will um, want to show a lower possible income uh, as they can in order to make sure that their tax liabilities are as negligible as they can be um, because that's the way the benefit of being self-employed should be. On the other hand, they're a loser uh, and as Bob would say, a prisoner of their own success because all of a sudden they are not able to get the maximum or the ability to buy a major property because they are showing such a low income 
And that's where the self-cert back in the day that I remember it to be became extremely popular because as long as they could afford the payments, as long as they could make the payments, which most people that are self-employed and have a business acumen will find the money to, to make that payment to make sure that they've got what they want to have. But it, sometimes it might be sort of robbing Paul to pay Peter to do that. But that allowed, that self-cert situation allowed them to do that. Whereas, to the best of my knowledge, since that went, it became extremely difficult for um, self-employed people to actually then go and become a normal borrower under normal criteria. And what that normal criteria is, that it doesn't fit. So one size doesn't fit all at all. Um, and so that's where, where I am, a lot of bridging finance comes into it. So people go out and take a view and actually the cost of it is quite extortionate if you think about it because to fund it through bridging means that they've got to pay a hell of a lot of arrangement fees etc but what that shows you and it continues to show that property is without a shadow of a doubt still one of the best forms that you can actually invest in because they know that if they bought it at say hundred thousand pounds and they've had to put in you know ten percent fifteen percent or they're going to develop it and that is now going to be worth half a million pound. There is enough in it for them to, to go through the pain of paying a um, bridging finance. But what they tend to do is you use the bridging finance as the lever to be able to say, well, I'm now in it. First of all, in like anything, you've got to be in the game. It's a bit like you're jumping on the tube. You've got to get, jump in the tube and be amongst all the sardines and eventually people move and you find a seat. So, you know, as my dad used to say, you've got to make a place to stand before you find a place to sit. And in this situation, it's the case of saying that I want to get into this. So what do I do? I go and maybe go to a bridger, get my money from the bridger and then go to refinance it, go to a man like Bob and say, right, I've got this. I've got enough equity in it. I've got these charges. How do I go about that? But because they're actually in it, they've got equity in a property. They've got some um, some something to sort of hold hold the situation through, and then they could probably get onto some sort of mortgage uh, route. So it is it is a, a, a very very popular spot. But I, I find that you know bridges have taken over that role, and there's there's so many. I mean, if I don't get a call from one bridge or a week, I don't get a call from ten bridges a week because they know that people that buy at auction or through auction or through that method of sale nine times out of ten are going to have to get some sort of finance backup and it's a lot easier there's not as much um you know rules and stringents that you have to follow it's not about you know what tax you paid and you know all the ins and outs that they've got to do for a mortgage um it is just sort of like okay there's your equity you've got that much money we're going to secure it as first charge here's the money and within weeks is sometimes the funding is available, even in days, it's not funding is available. Whereas you can live through a whole, you know, quarter of a, a month or maybe three months, four months before you even get an answer from a, an ordinary lender to say whether you're actually in the game. And you kind of lose almost the, the will for living at that point, um, because you think, my God, is it that difficult? And that, those are the things that make the property market challenging because it's so much red tape in the background for what normally people want to do. And so sometimes they just revert automatically to someone like a bridger and say, as long as I can get it, I'm in it, then I'll work out how I'm going to get out of it to the next stage. Interesting, Bob, to see some research uh, that says from Statista saying in April of 2022, there were just over four and a quarter million self-employed people in this country. And uh, Mastercard have done some research uh, fueling the global gig economy. And that report says that there will be 7.25 million people predicted by the end of this year working in our gig economy, which is a, a new phrase which we hear all the time now. Um, so it's a sizable market. So what is it like out there at the moment for people who are self-employed trying to find finance for property, Bob? It's becoming easier as time goes on. Lenders are... Um are now venturing out and they're sort of testing the water uh, uh, and applying new criteria or rules, etc, etc. Um, so it's still not easy. We're still not out of the woods uh, because self-employed are seen as a bit more risky option for most lenders. So they do want to see st some stability and some regularity of income. Um, and they'll use now multiple sources as well. So 
as I say, the market is changing. It's, it is becoming more flexible uh, uh, to be in tune with the you know, workforce of, of the UK because uh, since the pandemic, more and more people have gone self-employed. And you know, going forward, if the banks are looking to tap into that sector, they have to design products that are meeting that type of client's needs. Now, that's not to say that self-employed mortgages are any more expensive. It's just that the criteria is different. Yeah, you'll get the same product as a normal PAYE person, but the steps on the hoops that you might have, might have to jump are a little bit more than the PAYE person who simply furnishes payslips and a P60. Um, so the self-employed market is complex, make no mistake, because um, there, there are different definitions of self-employed, you know, flying about. Um, IR35, which came in, has, you know, put a, a few noses out of joint. Um, and then lenders are now adapting to that because they're now offering contractor mortgages, which are not based on the accounts that you file or your tax that you pay. They're simply based on the day rate of your contract. So if somebody gets £500 a day, they'll multiply that by five and then multiply that by 46 or 48. So contractors can get stupidly large mortgages because of the way they're treated. So they're more beneficial than PAYE mortgages because... Uh, you know, we're working on somebody's gross income, uh, even though they're self-employed. And normally for self-employed, we work on net income after their expenses. Whereas for contractors, we don't really take their expenses into account at all. So they do benefit. There are some specialist lenders who love contractors. So that's fine. Uh, but Joe, average self-employed, new into the business, maybe one year's accounts, also has an options now because we have lenders that just take first year's accounts into 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 uh, into play no longer do you need to have accounts for two years three years we can do still with one one year's accounts now or we can even use the latest figures if you've been trading for a long long time and your latest figures are much better than previous years because of covid or whatever we have lenders that use the latest year's figures as well so it's no longer a closed door i think people who are in that situation who have aspirations of buying a house should talk to a financial advisor Put their cards on the table in terms of all their income sources, and we, you know we can we'll do the rest for you. And these days, lenders don't only allow two mortgage people on two applications or two people on the mortgage application. We have lenders that take four applicants. So if you're uh, a couple with two children who want to buy, we potentially can use all four incomes to give you a bit of a leg up and buy a bigger property for the you know bigger household. So the options are endless. It's You can't not pay your taxes because we don't <laughs> entertain applications where you, your tax is not being declared from others, any source of income. And the warning sign in all this is that if you've not been declaring your earnings for the last five, 10 years, and you're showing minimal profits, and suddenly you tell us you've saved 300,000 pounds, you know it doesn't make sense. So lenders are now, yeah. So lenders are now really, really looking into how you've accumulated your wealth. If it's out of sync with your lifestyle, with your earnings and savings capacity, and it's not been gifted or inherited, you're you're asking for trouble if you make a mortgage application without addressing those questions. Some brokers are saying that uh, mortgage lenders are still running a two-tier system with the self-employed um, and treat them with much more caution. Part of the problem is that lenders are constantly looking back at what happened previously in downturns and how the self-employed were affected and that many big lenders have draconian affordability models with high street underwriters that struggle to assess accounts. Um, there's the uh, people who took the COVID grants, for example, um, very harsh to penalise a business owner that did this when they couldn't get, get two hoots about someone who may have uh, spent their lockdown twiddling their thumbs. So it seems unfair that somebody who took a loan to, to, to be enterprising and, and, to, and to do something with their, with their time, um, they're being penalised for taking that loan, whereas somebody that didn't and just twiddled their thumbs and did nothing um, uh, isn't uh, tarred with the same brush. Yeah, you're right. Uh, life is unfair. Even contractors were left out in the cold during COVID and the grant system and directors were also left out. So, you know, you know th these benefits and uh, incentives were done without really much thought, to be honest with you. The bounce wax were given 
away willy-nilly. You know, in 30 seconds, you could have 50,000 pounds in your bank. Um, so, yeah, I mean, lenders do have a two-tier system, no doubt. Their criteria for self-employed is a bit more detailed. And it's so varied, you know, no, no two lenders have the same criteria. They all want different bits of paper. And and they all go into different levels of depth into your background, in, into your bank statements, into your current trading. Some lenders just rely on your accountant's certificate. They don't even want to see the accounts. They reserve the right to do so. But some lenders just want an accountant's uh, certificate to say, yeah, this guy's, you know, Joe Josh has made half a million pounds this year. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll take that as gospel. So it's not... It's not a constant. We constantly have to review their criteria and see where's the best home for this client? What's he been declaring? What's his profile like? Where did he get the savings from? As I've said before, that's now a very, very big hot potato in the mortgage market. You know, somebody who shouldn't have that money turns up with that money in the bank is going to get questioned and declined. I've seen uh, cases come to me from other brokers where that's happened. And we say, look, unless you can prove where that money came from, I'm sorry. You know, you're, you're going to get reported and probably have been reported because under the anti-money laundering rules, if a bank suspects you are avoiding tax or if your gains are illicit, they'll do a secret letter to the authorities. You know, you won't even know about it. So you've really got to be careful when making a mortgage application where your, where your profile doesn't fit what you're presenting. Time is running on, gentlemen. I've got to leave uh, one more story in, as we promised we would cover this. And Joe and I did talk about this last week, um, and we thought there was some 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 money in this, so to speak. Um, I'd love to get your view. Uh, Joe and I are really interested to hear what you think about this idea that was coming out of the Tory party last week, that maybe looking at the way that we finance property purchasing could change. So a 50-year generational mortgage, so uh, something that we would buy a property with that we would then hand the mortgage on to the family and therefore the asset goes with that too. Uh, and also 30-year fixed rate was another suggestion being made last week. Just wanted to get your steer on it for, for Joe and I's benefit more than anything. Sure. Um, not a good idea. Not a good idea. Uh, because we, unless affordability assessments totally change, how can you give your mortgage to your children if they're not earning the money or don't have the capacity to pay for it? And as that's likely to happen in your later years, your children might have bought their, bought their own place anyway and may not need your house. So I think it's a bit of a headline grabber, a bit like the uh, mortgages for people on benefits. I had so many calls on that. People automatically assumed they could get mortgages when they were, pleasing, when they were claiming universal credit. You know, it's, it's just headline grabbing. It's, there's no real substance or thought behind that particular announcement um, I can't see it working if I'm honest with you and you know and a 50-year term my god that's that's an eternity isn't it you know the suggestion is that you will actually end up paying over half a million pound in interest on a 50-year contract yeah it's, it's just the tantamount to renting isn't it you know when you're paying so much interest you might have might as well bought the thing in the in, in the uh, in that time so not, not a good idea, I feel. It's not going to work. A uh, lot more thought needs to go into it. Uh, and it may suit some people, you know, where children are living with the parents and plan to do so forever. Maybe in Asian families, that would work. Uh, but in, in, the, in the normal indigenous population, that may not happen, I think. So uh, let's see. 30-year mortgages, yeah, uh, good idea if they're competitive. They're already around in Europe and, and the United States. Uh, and, and, and there, people take over the mortgage on that particular property. So uh, our whole understanding of mortgages needs to be rethought for that to actually work in this country. We're not used to uh, locking into one lender for that length of time. Um, rates might even drop further and you could be locked into a 30-year product that's quite expensive. So I think a lot more thought needs to go into it. Joe, it's great to have Bob here giving us his words of wisdom every now and again, isn't it? And uh, I suppose we should just add that, you know, we're not giving financial advice on the show today. Um, you know, you have to be licensed as Bob is to do that kind of thing. Um, but it's great to hear. And obviously anyone that does have any specific questions on their particular situation should contact Bob directly. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, uh, the game that we're in, is certainly from my point of view, you know, as property um, mortgages, financing is an integral part of that, and it has its own place um, um, in, in, in that part of the industry. And it is important that um, 
obviously we try and um, get the best possible guidance and advice that we can get onto property matters and uh, obviously Bob's uh, thoughts are always welcome on that and uh, and put so clearly that is actually equally as important as the advice that somebody understands and that can explain it and obviously that's where Bob's experience speaks volumes um, in, in terms of time so um, so thank you for coming and getting out of bed again Bob um, but we will be dragging you out I'm sure pretty soon again um, Paul, Paul will bring out more mortgage things, but it's important for all of our businesses at the end of the day because that's what makes it work. It, it's it's an automatic fit, isn't it? If somebody wants to buy a property, nine times out of ten they need to borrow some money, and the question is, what is the best route? Um, and because the Financial Conduct Authority makes sure that it has to be, um, you know, dealt with in the right manner, that's where you know advice coming from you is important. Though I can generalize which i always do um primarily because of the years that i've actually served in this industry now um but it is an evolving part i mean the, the financial side is is changing every day and it's important to make sure that we try and give the best and more than anything else layman chat i like layman chat because people always say to me i don't understand that i mean one of the things i've you know even though i probably knew it is that 17 18 years into a 25 year on a repayment mortgage is a time when you've actually you know already paid off your debt and, and the rest of it is now going to be all interest the question you have to ask yourself is you know do you sort of pay that earlier in terms of having savings in cash quicker so that you don't have that payment going forward i'm sure there'll be a lockout or a, a, a early settlement redemption figure that will be quite substantial but sometime it might be actually worth you know paying that substantial redemption figure because you're going to save potentially another seven years worth of payments which is quite a lot in, in, in the grand scheme so every day we've done something and thank you very much for uh, bringing that to to our attention bob yes thank you bob and thank you joe and and there we have to leave it this week as we're we're running fast out of time and so thank you so much to both of you and thank you for watching property matters this week on our mortgage special <laughs>